Live from Rock Vox Recording Studios in Rochester, New York, metal maniacs around the globe unite. Prepare for Metal Mayhem ROC. Now, welcome our hosts, John, the Vernomatic Verno, and Metal Forever Mark. Hello and welcome to the third and final installment of the Ron Stein story, the Lakeshore Record Exchange, The Metal Years. I'm your host, John the Vernomatic Verno, and tonight, from his home in Port St. Lucie, Florida, Ron will be joining us to complete the story. But first, let's recap episode two. We picked it up in fall of 1980. The Lakeshore Record Exchange made its debut down on Lake Avenue in Charlotte in Rochester, New York. They developed a young but a very enthusiastic metalhead uh, customer base led by two gentlemen that had knowledge of the new wave of British heavy metal material. Ron invested some money in an overseas import operation and received his first installment of import records that quickly moved. Public Access Radio Show debuted Metallic Overdrive to a huge success. Spring of 1983, the band Metallica comes to Rochester to do their debut album. And in the fall of 83, Lakeshore, with its three-headed monster of in-store traffic, the Metallic Overdrive radio show, and the increasingly popular mail order operation, Lakeshore Record Exchange is ready for the next step. So again, live from uh, Port St. Lucie, Florida, Ron Stein. Hey, John, how you doing tonight? Oh, we're doing well. The uh, sun's beaming through the studios here at Rockvox in Rochester, New York. Supposedly, it's supposed to be spring soon, so <laughs> we're doing well. I was going to well. say, sun in Rochester is always a good thing. How, how are you and Jackie doing down in uh, Florida? We're doing great. We're, uh, you know, just uh, sheltering in place like everybody else is and staying safe. And, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're just living the retired life here. We're doing fine. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so I'm excited about this uh, final installment. I, right off the bat, I want to say this has been great uh, reliving a lot of these memories because if there's a demographic that was the poster child for Lakeshore, I consider myself right up in there because I was there for pretty much um, not the whole Lakeshore time, but back in like 83, 84. So this has been an honor of mine to sit down and get to know you and do this. We picked the story up in January of 1984. It looks like Ron and Jackie and the Lakeshore Record Exchange has moved into the Buffalo market. Let's take a listen to a commercial that was running on one of their uh, major stations. Headbangers, that could be you unless you go now to the Lakeshore Record Exchange, the only store in western New York specializing in the new wave of heavy metal. We'll send wild dogs after you unless you get down to the Lakeshore Record Exchange and check out the new selection of domestic imported and selectable heavy metal albums plus European progressive electronic new wave. Oh, get there now. Shocking, isn't it? Well, it could be you unless you bring your used LPs to the Lakeshore Record Exchange. They buy and trade quality used LPs. And those for you that are going to refuse to come, Ross and Rats after you. We'll send wild rabbit rats to your house. To order your free mail order catalog of heavy metal albums, just write Lakeshore Record Exchange, 4402 Lake Avenue, Rochester, New York, 14612, or call 663 1447. The new Crocus album is entitled Headhunter. Here's the title track. Crocus, new Crocus on Money Metal Madness from Woo FM. All right, so it looks like Lakeshore invaded Buffalo. Tell me the story. Well, that spot that you just played was really, really very importantly instrumental in uh, the growth of the store because it was broadcast not only uh, to Rochester, but to, into the city of Buffalo as well. The station was in Wethersfield, New York, which was sort of uh, southeast of Buffalo, you know, and it was about equidistant from Rochester and from Buffalo. That got us into the Buffalo market. 
that ad, the way Woo Woo did that, I mean, that's just a total masterpiece of radio advertising. It really uh, cemented the image of uh, Lakeshore as a wild heavy metal store in uh, into uh, whoever heard that ad's brain. I mean, uh, we got lots and lots of business from Buffalo uh, as a result of that ad, uh, not only, you know, from a mail order standpoint, but uh, people making the road trip from uh, Buffalo to Rochester to buy from us in the store in Rochester. And the thing that we kept hearing over and over again was we really needed to open up in Buffalo because there was nobody uh, in Buffalo selling the kind of stuff that we were in the volume that we were selling it. There was one other store there that had maybe one-tenth of the selection that we did, but their prices were higher and they didn't have anywhere near the selection. They said if we were to move to Buffalo, we'd do really, really well. And uh, I was at a point personally where I still was working during the day. Uh, Jackie was running the store and I cannot overemphasize uh, how much of a help Jackie was through the whole history of Lakeshore. Her uh, running the store and uh, supporting me was invaluable. But uh, anyway, she was still running the store during the day and I was coming in in the evening and on the weekend at that point. The job that I had then was as a data processing manager and basically it was a dead end job. Uh, the way it was. They weren't going to put anything new on the computer where I was working. And um, I was basically the world's highest paid key punch operator. Mm. And I was going nowhere there. The store, Lakeshore, was at a point where uh, just the Rochester store uh, was something that I could have lived on if I'd have uh, needed to. But uh, because of the, all the demand we were getting from Buffalo, it appeared that the next logical thing for us to do was to expand the business and open a second store in Buffalo. Because uh, from what everything we were being told, that was something that would uh, be very successful and make us a lot of money. Yeah. And, and so... Uh... Uh, circling back, uh, the fir the formative years of the Rochester Lakeshore was fairly successful. So it seemed like a logical step, just seemed like success was on the horizon. Well, it seemed like a logical step, but uh, unfortunately, the fates had other things in mind for us. Two weeks before we opened the Buffalo store, I had signed the lease. I had a lot of the inventory in there already, found the location and everything. Two weeks before we opened the Buffalo store, the representative from uh, Woo Woo Radio came in the store and said, Ron, I'm sorry to have to tell you this, but the station is changing format and we're going to have to cancel your advertising. And so uh, that left us high and dry opening up in Buffalo without any real means to effectively promote the business. So uh, just that one thing that happened there right at the critical time at the beginning uh, was sort of an omen as to how the rest of the business was going to go. The first location where we were was, uh, if anybody's familiar with the geography of Buffalo, we were a couple blocks uh, north of the old UB campus at, at uh, Maine and Bailey. Uh, we were a couple blocks north of that at Bailey and Millersport Highway. My thought was that we would have the metal market from the woo-woo ads and uh, the business we had built up up to that point in Buffalo. And I would also be able to get uh, import business on the new wave and alternative end of things from the University of Buffalo that was right there. Also turned out, uh, I found out later, that UB had a record cooperative uh, right on campus uh, in their Amherst campus. So people who would have bought the new wave stuff uh, didn't have to go off campus to buy it. They were able to get it right from the record cooperative that was at UB. So uh, the Buffalo store right from the outset really did not do what we were hoping and expected it to do. I think the best month we had the first year in the Buffalo store was September of 1984 when the kids came back to school at UB. That was a halfway decent month, but then it just went downhill from there uh, the rest of the school year. And so um, we said, well, you know, this location is just not working out. We got to try something. So we moved the store downtown to uh, a location closer to the Buffalo State campus at uh, Elmwood and Allen Street, down uh, closer to downtown Buffalo. Things weren't really much better down there. We did a little advertising. Uh, the uh, uh, 97 Rock radio station in Buffalo uh, had a metal show uh, for a while, uh, one night a week, and we had ads on there, and that didn't last very long. Uh, they took that off, and we were high and dry again. Uh, we tried to advertise on the uh, Buffalo State College uh, student station, 
they wouldn't let us on there. They had an exclusive arrangement with uh, the other shop in Buffalo. That uh, That's the one that had the one-tenth of the inventory that we had. Uh, and uh, even though it was a state school and I was paying taxes to support that school, uh, I couldn't get on there. So um, basically, through the whole two years that we were in Buffalo, we really did not have a means of promoting the store properly. And uh, it, that really showed up in the way it performed. It really just did not perform in a way where we could call it a success or uh, e even call it a break-even proposition. We were, uh, we were really losing a lot of money trying to be in Buffalo. The only notable thing that happened in the Buffalo store was uh, in March of 1985, down there uh, when we had moved down to uh, Elmwood and Allen, uh, we got a call from Important Records saying that uh, Venom was going to be coming through Buffalo in March uh, on their first American tour. And did we want to have an in-store down there uh, in the Buffalo store? And I said, do we want to have an in-store with Venom? <laughs> what a question, you know? So um, the uh, day of the Venom show uh, came around. We heard that... Uh, there was going to be a problem with the Venom show, not our in-store, but the actual show. The, um, the guitar player uh, for Venom, uh, Mantis, apparently had gotten sick and gotten replaced on the tour by uh, another guitar player from the British band Rage. The guy who was the replacement guitar player did not have a green card to work in the United States. So when Venom came over the border, I guess their previous gig had been in Toronto or someplace in Canada. They came over the border and they were told by immigration, you guys aren't playing because your guitar player doesn't have a green card. So it turned out that the only place Venom appeared in Buffalo that trip through was in our store at the in-store. And uh, that was really a very, very crazy day. It was a barely controlled chaos in that store. Uh, when Venom came in, the crowd surged forward and uh, broke the front counter. Uh, the guys who I had helping me with security had to hold the counter up for the duration of the, uh, of the in-store. Kronos got uh, close to the telephone at the front counter. And uh, when people were calling up to, to, to ask what was going on there, uh, Kronos was answering the phone. <laughs> well, there um, and, uh, we have a uh, Lakeshore, Lakeshore Record Exchange photo gallery picture page at metalforever.com where you could go and look at some of these photos from the Venom in-store appearance. And that was, those keeping track at home, that was Venom when they're on tour in 1985 on the Ultimate Revenge Tour with Slayer and Exodus, that tour ended up hitting New York City and they filmed the the video Ultimate Revenge from Studio 54. I think that was the one of the last, last events at Studio 54. Well, actually, that Buffalo show, uh, I, uh, I think uh, also there's a, a picture of the poster uh, that promoted that show in the uh, image file that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you look at that poster, you'll see that uh, Slayer was actually the opening band. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's where oh. we were in 1985. And the other band on the bill was Oz. The German band Oz mm -hmm. uh, was going to be on that show. So it was going to be uh, Slayer, Oz, and Venom to headline uh, in Buffalo. That's what it was going to be. Yeah, uh, Metal Mayhem ROC correspondent Bill the Rager, he went to the Buffalo show to see that show and was notified an hour or two before the show that there wasn't going to be a show. Any other memories from that besides Cronus talking on the phone? Were the guys cool? Were um, How was the crowd there? Was it a big crowd? Uh, it, was a, it was a big crowd. It was definitely a big crowd. I, I, you know, just, I mean, it was a small shop there and the shop was pretty much full of people. I would say easily, um, easily a hundred plus people were in there mm -hmm. that day. It, it, like I say, it was barely controlled chaos. Jackie and I were, <laughs> were, were kind of joking around between us because the store, you know, was, as we said, was not doing well. And Jackie and I were, were saying between us, geez, we should just uh, walk out the door and just uh, let them do whatever they want in here. <laughs> yeah, that, being, <laughs> that being said was, I know you had your struggles there. Was there anything from the whole Buffalo experience that was positive? Well, um, we did meet the band Assailant 
through the Buffalo store. They, uh, those guys uh, came in uh, and were customers and introduced themselves. And, uh, you know, they, uh, anybody who knows Assailant knows that they're, they were really nice guys, all, all five of them. And uh, we uh, were able to strike up a working relationship with Assailant uh, to be able to use them uh, as an opening act for some of the shows that we did in Rochester and uh, helped them out a little bit, you know, getting their exposure in the city of Buffalo as well. So that was a positive thing. But um, all in all, I can't really think of too much else besides that and the Venom in-store that really were uh, positive things that, that happened out of our uh, two-year Buffalo experience. Uh, I think uh, I, in, in the last segment, I talked about the, uh, the business arrangement I had with Metallica with their road cases mm-hmm. and uh, that I got consideration from them for making them the loan. In order to uh, pay all the bills that uh, arose out of trying to do that Buffalo store, I was forced to take a settlement on that arrangement that I had with Metallica to be able to uh, settle with some of my suppliers for the Buffalo store. So, uh, you know, again, there really isn't too much positive that I could say happened uh, from our two year experience in Buffalo. So at this point, uh, what's going on in Rochester? The business as usual was Jack- Jackie was running Rochester while you're in Buffalo. Is that how well, it's going? Uh, we I had an employee in Buffalo uh, three days a week and then the other three days a week I would go and run the Buffalo store and Jackie would stay in Rochester and uh, run the Rochester store. And uh, the fellow I had uh, running it in Buffalo, he was uh, very uh, knowledgeable. He was uh, one of the uh, most knowledgeable uh, metalheads there uh, there were in Buffalo at the time and a very nice guy. So he ran it three days a week and uh, I was there the other three days a week in Buffalo and Jackie ran the store in Rochester when I was in Buffalo. And again, uh, I can't say enough about uh, the the help that Jackie was uh, all during Lakeshore and, and really beyond that when we had our store in Houston after we moved out of Rochester. I could never have done the record business without Jackie. She uh, she was uh, so supportive and, and encouraging and uh, helpful. Everything you want your wife to be, she was. And, uh, you know, uh, she she was she's just a, as big a part of the success of Lakeshore as, as anything else that we're, we might be talking about. Oh, sure, sure. All right, we're going to take a quick little break here on Metal Mayhem ROC. And when we come back, we're going to pick up the situation in Rochester and the exciting things going on at Lakeshore Record Exchange. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. This edition of Metal Mayhem ROC is brought to you by Mr. V's Street Style Vending and Special Events Catering. Visit our lunch cart in the College Town District at Strong Memorial Hospital or hit up the late night weekend location at the corner of Monroe Avenue and South Goodman. Look us up online at MrVsVending.com for catering prices and availability. That's Mr. V's Street Style Vending and Special Events Catering. Now, back to Metal Mayhem ROC. We're talking live with Ron Stein of the Lakeshore Record Exchange history. Now we're back to the Rochester situation. Uh, What's going on in Rochester? Well, the major thing that happened in Rochester um, that hadn't happened previously, because right through to the end, we were running the store uh, pretty much the same way business-wise, you know, just selling the new metal stuff as it came out and underwriting metallic overdrive and all of that. So none of that changed uh, during the last four years of it. The, the big thing that did change was uh, we began to uh, do live shows as another means of promoting the store and promoting metal in Rochester. Uh, that was the really uh, the major thing that started in 1984 and continued right to the end uh, till when we sold the business. How did uh, how did that come about? Was was it solely your idea? You were doing all these shows at the Penny Arcade. Did they approach you? How did that come about? Well, the first show that we did was not an arcade show. Um, one of the fellas who used to come into the store, I think it was Joe Giorgione from from the band Fallen Angel. Apparently, as Jackie and I remember it, uh, I think it was him that knew somebody who uh, was running the Stutzen Theater, which uh, had stopped being a movie theater at the time and was trying to uh, uh, use their uh, their facility for other things, live shows and, and other uh, other uses besides just movies. The idea came up of uh, doing a local metal show at the Stutzen Theater. Uh, so uh, uh, Joe got uh, his band Fallen Angel. We got a sailing from Buffalo. And in August of 84, we, uh, we got involved doing a little show at the Stutzen Theater with the, the two local bands. How'd that, was, uh, uh, how'd that turn out? It was pretty successful. 
Um, you know, the only <laughs> the only problem we had was there was one one crazy lady who uh, came in there and was going to call the cops on us because because uh, the bands were using four letter words. But other than that, it was uh, it was pretty successful. It uh, it was a nice. Uh, you know, enthusiastic but mellow crowd. There wasn't any problem of any kind, uh, security-wise or violence-wise mm-hmm. or anything like that. And uh, we did okay with that. So, uh, you know, that was uh, that was pretty successful. But really, the uh, the, the major uh, thrust of us doing shows started one day when I got a call from uh, Greg Sullivan, the guy who was the owner at the Penny Arcade. Uh, he called me and said, Ron, you know, I understand you're the guy in the area here who knows all this new heavy metal stuff that is coming out. Uh, he said, I've been getting calls from the booking agents for some of these new metal bands uh, who want to do shows at the arcade. And uh, I don't know the first thing about these bands. And I thought maybe uh, if you're more familiar with them, you might want to get involved as a promoter here doing shows at the arcade um you know we can talk about uh what kind of business arrangement we can have if you want to come in here and do shows here you know you can uh you can sign the contract you can be the promoter you hire the sound and lights provide them with their contract rider you know the food that they need and all that stuff Mm -hmm. and uh give us uh give us a certain amount of money per head in the door and uh you keep all the rest of the proceeds for yourself after you pay the band so, uh, you know, if you think you're confident enough to uh, uh, want to undertake something like that, uh, if you know the bands well enough, uh, it might be something that might, uh, you know, might be able to make a little money and promote your store at the same time. So uh, I said, yeah, Greg, you know, you're right. Let me, uh, let me talk to Jackie about that and we'll, uh, we'll see what we're going to do. So Jackie and I talked it over and it was really a situation uh, that was very similar to when we first started to bring in the imports direct from England. Uh, we said, well, well, let's figure out what this will cost. So we, you know, ran down the expenses and we said, okay, well, uh, for this first show, it might cost us five or $600 if we don't sell one ticket. So, um, you know, that's what we got at risk. Again, if this succeeds, uh, there's a big upside to it, not only in uh, the form of making money, but also promotional value for the store and promotional value for the metal scene around Rochester. So the, the downside is if we don't sell one ticket, we lose, you know, five, six hundred dollars or whatever it is, X amount of dollars. Um, it, it sounds like there's a lot more upside than there is downside. So uh, we got back to Greg and we said, yeah, let's go. Um, you know, uh, how, how, do, how do you want to proceed with this? He said, well, I had the, uh, the agent for a band called Exciter call me. He said, are you familiar with them? I said, yes, I'm very familiar with them. We've sold a lot of their albums. Mm. Uh, and he said, okay, let me have uh, the agent for Exciter call you. And, uh, you know, you can set up the business arrangement with him, sign the contract and everything, and then get with me and we'll talk about the uh, physical logistics of this. Exciter is a heavy metal uh, trio from uh, Canada. They had, at the time, their debut, um, heavy, uh, heavy Metal Maniac, and then they came to town for the Violence and Force Violence and Force album. And Correct. I, I happen to, uh, Ron provided us with an archive piece. Uh, what's this clip we're going to listen to? Is this a Rochester-produced commercial for the show? I think this is an ad that ran on Buffalo Radio, the one that you're going to play. Maybe, uh, I don't know if uh, they were, we still, because it was 84, so I think we still were uh, doing ads on uh, 97 Rock uh, Metal Shop that they had there. I think that's where this ran. Um, All right, well, let's uh, take a listen to this. And remember, it's 30-something years old, so Ron did dig it out of the vault. Here you go, Exciter commercial, 1984. Okay, metal mongers, are you ready to help Leisure Record Exchange celebrate its fourth anniversary? Well, you're all invited to the Penny Arcade, 4785 Lake Avenue in Rochester on Sunday, November 4th, as Leisure Record Exchange proudly presents Megamore's recording artist, Exciter. Exchange, Billy Avenue in Buffalo, right near UB, and at Lake 
Shore Records in Rochester or the Penny Arcade. Tickets will be $8 stay of the show. Plan now to celebrate with Exciter and Assailant at the Penny Arcade in Rochester. I was at that show, and that show was fantastic. Tell us about the logistics on that. How did it turn out, and how was the band? Did you have a chance to hang out with them? No. Well, we did, uh, I think, do them as an in-store. I don't think there's pictures of that, but we did have them uh, for an in-store. Um, Jackie and I had no idea what to expect when we uh, when we left for the store that day. Um, and uh, we pulled up to the store, and we, we were shocked out of our shoes to see a line of kids waiting outside the store with Exciter banners uh, and uh, holding album covers, uh, just waiting for us to open up so that uh, they could get in and, uh, you know, meet Exciter. So we said, yeah, I think this is going to work. <laughs> right then and there, we said, yeah, I, I think I think we're uh, we're going to do OK with this. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, that was um, it was early November 1984 in a little Vernomatic uh, flashback tidbit. Back in those days, um, it was general admission show, obviously. And that was the first exposure to the fake dry ice smell that will I, I will never forget. And that arcade was packed and they just hit the stage and it was uh, smoke everywhere, loud as hell, leather, sweat. It was it was addicting. And so the Exciter show happens. Now what happens? They just keep you're like. Oh, we're on to something here, Jackie. So Yeah, we uh, we did pretty well with that show. We did better with that show than we thought we were going to. I think we got a little over 300 people for that show. And uh, so we said, yeah, uh, I think we're going to do some more of this. So, uh, Greg, uh, bring it on. Have these guys call me. So uh, I think uh, over the course of uh, the next four years, uh, we did something like between 20 and 30 shows. It, it really, looking back on that, you know, when you're doing these things uh, in real time, you don't uh, ever recognize the uh, significance uh, a lot of times of the things that you're doing. But um, looking back on it uh, from the perspective of 30 some odd years ago, it's incredible. I mean, we were the first with the shows that we did to bring a lot of the bands to Rochester uh, who today are considered to be, you know, on top of the heavy metal heap. Uh, bands that 30, 35 years later still have a massive worldwide following. Who did well, you bring to uh, town? Well, I got a list here. We did King Diamond twice. Uh, we did uh, Slayer. Uh, that was the uh, the number one show that we did was uh, Slayer and Overkill. That, that show sold out, and uh, we had people outside who couldn't get in. Uh, we did King Diamond twice. We did Sabotage twice. Man of War twice. Uh, Megadeth opening for King Diamond, Fate's Warning, Hallow's Eve. Uh, we did a show with Creator and Voivod on the same bill. Metal Church twice, uh, once with Anthrax. Uh, we did Celtic Frost. I, I couldn't believe when they offered me Celtic Frost. I said, oh, my God, uh, how, how are they even uh, in this country? Uh, you wouldn't think that they'd even be over here, but they were. Um, Exodus, Destructor from Cleveland and Shock Paris from Cleveland. Uh, we did Testament. Uh, we did Trouble, Sword. Avenger, the new wave of British heavy metal band when they came over. Mm -hmm. We did Malice. And uh, I think the last one we did before we left was uh, Warlock, Doro Pesh. And uh, that was uh, just a great show. Not successfully money-wise, but aesthetically. Um, yeah. She, she's just, she's such a great girl and, and such a great singer. And, you know, she's she's another one. She's still going now, and she has such a big following. We also got into uh, doing a little bit of punk stuff, too. Um, we did uh, shows with uh, M.O.D., you know, Billy Milano. Yeah. Um, Agnostic Front, the Crumb Suckers. Crumb Suckers, I think, when they came, they had like a 13-year-old guitar player with them. Mm -hmm. uh, and the British punk bands Discharge and GBH, we did them, too. Excuse me, but you know, one of the uh, really cool things is that we had to, got to experience here in Rochester is there's a term called the Big Four. Most metalheads know what it is, but the Big Four is the Big Four metal bands of thrash that have gone on to Hall of Fame careers. Metallica, Slayer, Anthrax, and Megadeth. Ron and Jackie brought three of the four to Rochester and Slayer anthrax and megadeth and had a direct support tie with metallica when metallica was here so that's that's the kind of connection that ron established 
in Rochester, New York in the early 80s and mid-80s that is really the the root and the fabric of what we're trying to tell people about this story, that it was a unique situation. We are lucky to be here at this time. And as we continue telling the story, it just gets better. But you mentioned that you brought a band, Malice, to town. I have a clip from Metallic Overdrive show where they're, they're talking about Malice. Let me play this real quick. On Sunday, January 5th, the Lakeshore Record Exchange presents Atlantic recording artist Malice at the Penny Arcade for two shows. Uh, the first show will be at 2 o'clock. That'll be an, at 5 o'clock. I'm sorry. That'll be an all-ages show. And the next show will be at 10 o'clock. That's a for 21 over, for all the alcoholic people like me, tickets will be $4 in advance, $5 a day of the show. Malice will be at the Lakeshore Record Exchange at 3 o'clock for an in-store appearance to sign records and whatever else you want. Well, so, um, yeah, so Malice came in for um, an in-store. Any memories of that afternoon? Uh, no, I remember them being pretty nice guys. Uh, you know, we didn't have too much trouble at all with uh, hardly any of the bands. Uh, there's one story I'll tell you when we get to that point in what we're going to do here. But uh, for the most part, uh, all of these bands, you know, despite maybe some of the, 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 the rough, violent image that some of them may have, they, they were all very nice, personable, professional guys, uh, very friendly um, You know, uh, we, we didn't have any trouble doing in stores with uh, any of them, even the, the ones that you, you would think, you know, might be a little bit of a problem. They, they, they were all uh, uh, just uh, nice as they could be and very professional, and uh, we had no trouble at all. That's cool. We're talking with Ron Stein from Lakeshore Record Exchange, and we're going to segue into a uh, segment on Metal Mayhem ROC that we call Mount Rushmore. Now, the 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 theme of this is uh, Mount Rushmore, top four of any subject. So tonight, um, I asked Ron to put together his top R- Mount Rushmore four best concerts that he was able to put together at the arcade. And um, after this little tease, this little promo, we're going to get Ron's answers. Many have tried. Most have failed. Only a few survived. This is the Mount Rushmore of metal. So about 20, 25 shows Ron and Jackie Stein promoted at the Penny Arcade. And what what's your Rushmore of shows, Ron? Well, number one has to be uh, Slayer with Overkill to open. Um, that one stands over and above the rest of them because that one sold out. And uh, as I said, we had people standing outside who could not get in for that show. And, uh, you know, it, again, you know, looking back on that, uh, you know, I mean, Slayer has been, uh, you know, one, one of you, you call them the top four. They've been one of the top four ever since that show, you know, uh, over 35 years ago. So, um, I mean, you know, uh, as I say, you, you never really understand the significance uh, of what you're doing a lot of times when you're doing it. It's mm-hmm. only in retrospect when you look at, you know, how things, you know, developed uh, and evolved after you did it that you uh, you can look at it and say, wow, we really did something there, you know. Uh, and e- even on Facebook, um, I've had probably a uh, hundred at least of my old Lakeshore customers find me on Facebook one by one. And they all say the same thing. They all say, you know, Ron, we have to thank you and Jackie for uh, everything you did for us during our teen years. You know, you you brought us these bands and we saw them in their infancy. Um, all the records that uh, we bought from you, Saturday night and Friday night, Metallic Overdrive was a was a weekly ritual for us. Uh, it it uh, influenced our our uh, taste in music. Uh, we have such great memories of our teen years because of all the things that you guys did. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, you, you you just don't realize that stuff when it's happening. But you, you look back on it and say, "Wow, you know, I, we." We did something that it almost seems like it's legendary in the Rochester community now, the metal community. And, you know, we didn't think we were doing anything like that. We were just, you know, all the things we did with the store and the shows, we were flying by the seat of our pants. Just, you know, thinking, okay, well, what seems to be the the next right thing to do? Okay, we're being offered this band. We're selling their records. Let's do them, you know. Uh, So, you know. That's how great shit happens, Ron. That's how great shit happens. I, I guess so. But as uh, far as number number one, that would be Slayer and Overkill. Number two uh, would be King Diamond with Megadeth to open. Uh, and again, that's uh, a reflection of, 
the the status of both of those bands yeah. now. You know, I mean, um, you, you think of a King Diamond and Megadeth bill, you think of a, a bill today that's going to fill an arena, you know, um, not something that you would go to the Penny Arcade and see. But uh, anybody who came to that got to see these bands, both of those bands, their first time around the United States in, in the infancy of their popularity that has lasted over 30 years. So, well, as, know, as a, be- yeah, as the metal connoisseur here, that was the. King Diamond first solo tour after he left Merciful Fate, Fatal Portrait, and Megadeth's Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good tour. And right. that was 1986. I think it was like July 21st, something like that. And again, you could visit the metalforever.com Lakeshore Record Exchange photo page and see a lot of these uh, uh, rock and roll memorabilia that Ron provided to us. So we got Slayer and Overkill as number one. King Diamond and Megadeth. What do you got right. for three? Number three would be King Diamond again with Overkill to open. That's a year later in 1987. Okay. The Them Tour. Yep. And number four would be uh, Anthrax and Metal Church. Jackie and I talked about it. We said that one's got to be number four again because uh, it, it got a real big turnout. And uh, I think that was probably the first time Anthrax was in Rochester. It was the second time for Metal Church. We had done them once previously to that show, but uh, it was the first time for Anthrax in Rochester. Uh, Johnny Z came to that show. He, uh, I was taking tickets at the front door, and he came in and he said, hey, I know you. <laughs> <laughs> he better so know he, you. He, 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 he came up, uh, I guess he was, uh, you know, I don't know if he was managing Anthrax at the time or whether he just came up with them, but um, he, he came up for that. So uh, I got a bunch of stories here from, uh, you know, the, the last years of Lakeshore, you know, basically uh, some anecdotes that happened, connection with our shows and connection with running the store that um, I just want to interject here before yeah, we go yeah, any farther, just to, just to give you an idea of some of the stuff that went on the last four years. Um now, I mentioned when we did in-stores, most of the bands were uh, uh, very professional and easy to get along with. There was one that was a little bit of a problem. Uh, that was Exodus. <laughs> and uh, they, they, they came in and uh, they came in on a Saturday evening. And uh, when they came in, uh, their manager uh, came up to me and said, Ron, you know, I've been having a lot of trouble with these guys uh, going around the country because uh, they, they seem to be a little bit... Uh, unprofessional and uh, they need to do a little bit of growing up. The guy who uh, managed, who was their road manager had been the road manager for Jefferson Starship and a bunch of other uh, big name bands. And uh, he wasn't used to this kind of stuff. So he, uh, he kind of warned me. Uh, And uh, so (laughs) he he was right. We went out for pizza. We took them to, uh, I think uh, Captain Cook's, which is, uh, it was on the corner of Ridge and Dewey. I think that's what the name of the place was, but we brought him in there. We sat him down. They immediately started to have uh, food fights with the bread. Uh, they must have ordered uh, 10 or 15 pitchers of beer between them, um, throwing stuff around. After we left, they had to make a stop at a convenience store. They bought a couple more cases of beer. Um, the next stop after that was going up to uh, the WGMC studio to have them interviewed on Metallic Overdrive. So uh, they sit down in the studio. Their manager tells them, look, you know, this is a this station's run by a school district. They can lose their license if you guys do anything uh, four letter words or anything like that. Um, you know, be professional. They said, yeah, OK. So uh, Warhead comes on and says, hey, we got Exodus in the studio tonight. How are you guys doing? And the first thing, effing great, <laughs> you know, and oh, man, you know. So uh, that was uh, <laughs> that 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 was uh, not a fun night, but uh that was that's rock and roll, I guess, you know, well, uh, any other. Well, you know, you brought a lot of these bands in. Um, you, you mentioned something about uh, Paul Diano's Battle Zone. Paul Diano, the original singer of Iron Maiden, you had booked them to come to do a show. And what happened there? Something happened? Yes, uh, that was uh, a real close shave for us, boy. Um, you would have thought that. Paul Diano, being the first singer uh, for Iron Maiden on their first two albums, would be a big name that uh, everybody who was into metal at the time would want to see. You would think that. And everybody who booked that tour, me included, all the, the places who booked him all across the country also thought that. Except that's not the way it worked. Uh, we booked Paul Diano, and it was an expensive show. 
it was, um, I don't know how much it was, but it was well into four figures, you know, the, the total expense for that show. And uh, we ended up selling, by the day of the show, we sold about 20 tickets. Uh, and it just surprised the heck out of me. Uh, and I, after talking to the agent, he said, yeah, that's what's been happening all across the country with this show. Uh, apparently, people don't know who he is. And, and, you know, I found that hard to believe, but I was seeing the result of it. And um, we were going to take a real financial bath on that show. Um, so uh, as luck would have it, the day of the show, it was a six o'clock uh, all ages show at the Penny Arcade. The uh, the band came, they did the in-store with us, and we went over to the Penny Arcade. Their road manager was there, but their gear was not there. It was They were coming from someplace in the southern tier, I think, wherever they had their last show. And um, apparently what happened was the guy driving the truck with their gear got lost. And uh, it was getting to be 4 o'clock, 4.30, 5 o'clock. Um, they should have been you know, set up and doing their sound check already. And no, they weren't there, nowhere to be seen. Their manager couldn't get them on the phone, didn't know where they were. Um, so uh, we said, look, you know, uh, we can't, you know, do this much later because uh, Greg needs to have the show over with at the arcade here so he can get his regular, uh, you know, drinking crowd in tonight. So, yeah, we can't, sure, you know, sure. we, we can't do this uh, if it's going to be much later. So um, the road manager said, okay, well, uh, if we get to the point where it's time to open the doors and the gear's not here, we're just going to cancel the show. Is that okay? I said, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> you yeah. know, so it, it got to be six o'clock, no band. Uh, manager put up a sign on the door, show canceled. We shook hands. He left. Ten minutes later, their gear showed up. Oh, well, <laughs> you know, snooze, you lose. Well, yeah, I mean, but it was real lucky for us because it's, Saved me and Jackie quite a bit of money. Yeah, that's surprising. <laughs> um, you would think a draw like the Paul Diano, more than twenty tickets. It's that's what you would think. That's what everybody, every promoter who booked that tour across the country thought. Uh, you know, he he was on the first two Iron Maiden albums. They were still selling like crazy. How do people not know who this guy is? Yeah, but they they didn't. They just didn't. Nobody was buying tickets. It was it was incredible. Uh, nobody believed it anywhere in the country. All right, so um, so we're we're to the point now where um, what's going on with the store? What's going on in your life? Some big things well, are happening. Well, there's there's a lot of uh, cool stories I got here. Uh, uh, let me just run through a few of these real quick. Then we'll get to the end of things here toward the end. Um, the second time we did King Diamond in 1987. Uh, there was a similar problem. The king got to Rochester along with his road manager and uh, the guys who uh, were driving the truck with uh, his equipment um, were coming across the border at Niagara Falls. Their previous show also was in Canada. So um, the, uh, the guy in Rochester had, uh, had ended up having the paperwork uh, that accompanied the uh, the equipment so that uh, the guys with the equipment could get it through customs at the border. Uh, they got to the border with their equipment and customs wasn't going to let them through. So the, their manager had to quick drive from Rochester to Niagara Falls and back again, uh, all before showtime to uh, get them the paperwork so they could get across the border. So that was uh, <laughs> quite the time, too. And there, there's just other, uh, you know. Yeah, it's rock and anecdote. roll. It's rock and roll. Right, exactly. There, there's a lot of anecdote type things. Uh, there was the day the Witchfinder General album Friends of Hell came into the store first time. That was one everybody was waiting for because uh, their first album, Death Penalty, was real popular. And so what we used to do when a, uh, a new album came into the store, we would uh, take 10 or 20 copies of it and lean them up on the counter. So when people came in looking for it, it would be right there. You know, yeah. so we had uh, we had about 20 copies of Friends of Hell leaning up against the counter. And that's the one it's got a blue background. It's uh, the the uh, the cover's got a uh, a photo of some uh, old uh, guys dressed up as pirates or, or old colonial soldiers. And they're they're pillaging some uh, some nuns in a churchyard, you know. So um, we have this thing up on the counter and a priest walks in. <laughs> well, what the hell's a priest doing in a heavy metal <laughs> record store? Well, that was that was a good question. So it was too late. Jackie and I couldn't hide the albums before he got to the counter and saw them. So he just kind of smiled and shook his head. Well, you know, <laughs> he stepped into your world. It's not like you're walking into um, church with that stuff. 
there's other uh, kind of cool things that happened. You know, Tom G. Warrior from Celtic Frost. You would think uh, a guy like that with uh, the, the type of uh, real doomy stuff that Celtic Frost did, that he would be uh, a real, uh, you know, sort of into the occult and things like that. There is a picture in that uh, that image uh, site that you're talking about of uh, Tom G. Warrior at the front co- co- uh, counter of our store buying an Aerosmith Greatest Hits cassette from Jackie. <laughs> uh, well, you wouldn't think that either. Which uh, which Aerosmith was it? <laughs> the Greatest Hits, the one with the red cover. Okay, because they got like 14 Greatest Hits. Um, yeah, the first one, the, the one that was out at the time. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. The one, well, you the know, one with the red cover. At least it was old Aerosmith. And then there was uh, Warlock when Warlock came. Uh, their road manager was uh, a real piece of work. He, uh, he, their tour bus pulled up at the front. We were supposed to have an in-store. He took one look at the store and said, no in-store here and went down to the club. I, I guess, uh, he didn't think, uh, Lakeshore was big enough to, um, hold an in-store that was worthy of, uh, uh, of, of Warlock, you know, yeah. uh, he didn't understand, he didn't understand the underground metal scene. And I was having a lot of trouble with him, uh, you know, bossing around the guys who I had doing security. And I, I had to take him out on the, on the loading dock and back and say, look, buddy, you know, you're not at Lemoore's yeah. here. Uh, you know, this, uh, everybody volunteers, uh, cause they like, the, you know, the, everybody's into the metal scene here and they do it for the love of the music this is not lemurs you're not going to have any trouble here you know mm-hmm. um and as far as the in-store my money's on the line i ought to get an in-store here you know so um but uh we yeah. we we event ended up setting them straight and i finally did get in the bus to to meet doro when i get in the bus to meet doro she says why we not have an in-store i said <laughs> well you'll have to ask you have to ask your road manager that you know Wow. but uh, there, there, there was a lot of funny things there was um, one of our uh, customers from syracuse Got himself dressed up just like King Diamond for one of the in-stores. And uh, he came into to the store right uh, just before King Diamond uh, was scheduled to get there. There were people lined up all the way, snaking through the store and out the door. And he walks in and people thought he was King Diamond. Uh, big big cheer went up when he walked in and he goes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> yeah, well, I was there for that. We're going to segue now into, you mentioned customers that reach out to you on Facebook. Well, I had a chance over last weekend to do a little research and I came across a heavy metal site called Heavy Metal Rarities. And on this site, I saw, to my amazement, some old school metalhead that I have since become friends with right here in Rochester, New York, had posted in the um, online portion of the website cassette ripped versions of old metallic overdrive shows and old metal mayhem shows that I hosted back in the eighties when I started my broadcast career through all that, I was able to dig up merciful Mike. That's his name. That's what he goes by. He was able to provide with me a vintage audio cassette of an interview that our very own Ron Stein did with Bob the Warhead Thomas from Metallic Overdrive on the night in 1988 when big things were going on in the Lakeshore years. And I'm going to run a promo for Lakeshore that used to run on the show. When I come back, Ron's going to tell us exactly what Lakeshore was up to in the late 80s. So we'll be right back. Metallic Overdrive is made possible on WGMC by the Lakeshore Record Exchange, Rochester's rock import specialist, featuring a complete line of heavy metal, progressive, and new wave music. The Lakeshore Record Exchange, 4410 Lake Avenue in Rochester. So, it's 1987, 1988. What's going on? Well, uh, I got to a point uh, at the end of 1987 where... um, it, it, it sort of uh, gradually became obvious to me that uh, I needed to bring things to a close in Rochester, not only business-wise, but personally. Uh, I had personal stuff going on that uh, I really made me think I really needed a change of scenery. And uh, business-wise, uh, when you got to the end of 87 and 88, that was when the CD era was starting. And uh, very rapidly, what was happening was if you had an inventory at a, at a store that consisted of mostly vinyl records, your inventory was getting to be worthless pretty quick because um, everybody was dumping their records and uh, wanting CDs. You know, they want sure, digital. Sure. So um, 
more and more it uh, it became obvious to me that I really needed to do something to have a fresh start because I was going to have to recapitalize my whole business. Mm. Uh, I had everything I had was like 90% vinyl. Uh, nobody was going to be buying it. They were all coming in looking to buy CDs, you know, so I needed to do something to maybe get a fresh start business wise and recapitalize the thing and and start over again. And uh, I don't know, you know, uh, John, how how religious or spiritual a guy you are. Uh, I personally am not religious in the sense that I go to church or temple and follow all the rituals. But I have always felt that um, there's somebody or something there that uh, kind of guides you around and maybe sends you messages at critical times. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of 87 Thanksgiving week. Uh, let's just say I was sent uh, a message in no uncertain terms uh, that was telling me, Ron, you're done here. You need to uh, go someplace else and uh, do something else. Because the, the, basically uh, there was a series of events over a five day period that it belonged in Ripley's, believe it or not. The chances of it happening were a million, billion, trillion to one. You know, again, if you interpret these things as messages, it was like somebody was telling me, Ron, you need to be out of here. You need to do something else. So, you know, all of these things were coming together to uh, make me think that I really needed to uh, relocate. And uh, so, you know, it, it became time to uh, think about selling the store. Selling the store. So uh, you, yep. went ahead, you went ahead and found a buyer and you sold Lakeshore. End of an era. Yes, end of an era in Rochester. Uh, Jackie and I moved to Houston, Texas. We kind of picked up where we left off in Rochester. We we bought a uh, another store that kind of like when played against Sam uh, mm -hmm. was presented to me was not doing well, and uh, so I I bought it cheaply and uh, I put uh, new inventory in it, uh, all all digital, you know, of the type that we were selling in Rochester, a, a lot of underground metal and a lot of the other new wavy type things that we were selling, and we just kind of picked up where we left off and. We went another eight years in Houston like that. But that's basically, you know, what happened at that point. Well, um, like I said, I have these clips. Uh, let's go back to July 1988 with you and the Warhead having an interview on the Metallic Overdrive show. Brand new music from Slayer from the forthcoming LP, South of Heaven. And what we're going to do right now is call it a wrap on uh, the best show that I've ever done here on Metallic Overdrive. It's been a pleasure having you down here tonight, Ron. We've yeah, got, it's, uh, uh, definitely making me uh, kind of sorry I didn't do this more often myself. Well, I got to be on record here as saying you can't say I didn't tell you before a long, many times before that you ought to come down and do a show. Yeah, you did. I just uh, I knew I it'd be. I uh, I knew what you're, you're the man, right? I mean, let's face it, you've been uh, just the center of metal in Rochester for uh, so many years that it's it's just been really great down here, uh, getting a lot of your input on the show and the, the bands, and uh, the show wouldn't have been the same without you tonight, to say the least. And uh, I think this is a perfect way for you to to go out, like they say, in style. So uh, you know, I'm just over here. Why don't you babble for a little while? Well, uh, all I gotta say is some of the same stuff I said last week, and that I've been saying over the phone to people. Got a lot of calls tonight. Uh, yeah, I'll say. I think we're gonna run up a, a megaton bill for I know, these we're, people we're here tonight. Rochester telephone business tonight, <laughs> I think. But uh, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody for calling up and uh, giving me those uh, warm words of support and thanks and everything. And uh, all I can say is uh, the same thing I told the people on the phone that uh, none of this would have happened the last seven years without uh, you guys coming to the shows and buying the albums and uh, just generally being into it. So that's you and the Warhead back in '88. You remember that night? I remember that night very well. I think I have a cassette of that night here myself. <laughs> Later in the cassette, they talk about that. It's like 4.30 in the morning. But um, so you're up there and you're you're uh, spending a little time with the warhead. What's your state of mind at this point? What do you remember about that summer and your views on overdrive and the warhead? Well, uh, you know, uh, of course, you know, the the uh, the success of Metallic Overdrive went hand in hand with the success of the store in those years. You wouldn't have one without the other. You know, they they they, they were both part of the same thing. And, uh, you know, I, I cannot thank all the guys who were the DJs on Metallic Overdrive enough for uh, what they did, because, uh, you know, just the whole sound of the show, the uh, the pace of it, the stuff that they played was just perfect. I mean, they just uh, they had a total 100 percent perfect sense of what to do on uh, a contemporary heavy metal radio show. So, uh, you know, I, I, I got it from the bottom of my heart. I got to thank Bob the Warhead and Gino the Metal General, Jim the Cranker, 
uh, Tim the Executioner and uh, all the other guys who were the DJs on Metallic Overdrive for uh, for what they did, uh, not only for my shop, but for the uh, the metal scene in Rochester and Rochester and uh, for all the people who uh, listen to it faithfully every week and 35 years later have uh, such great memories of, uh, you know, their teen years listening to that, that, uh, you know, they, they think back on and reflect and think some of the best times of my life were doing that. I hear that all the time from uh, the people who uh, get hold of me on Facebook, who are my old customers. Well, Again, it's, you know, it's true. It's true. And, you know, uh, we got turned a corner on this, but I want to give you a chance to, um, thank, uh, whoever you need to thank. And I want to thank you for uh, taking the time and coming on with us. Wish you the best of luck, my friend. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you know, and yeah, I do have some people to thank. First of all, once again, I want to thank my wife, Jackie, because none of this could have happened without her uh, running the store, being supportive, being loving. Um, during our time in the record business, we went through some really tough times sometimes, and she was always there no matter what, with encouragement and support and uh, helping me in any way she could. So uh, thanks, Jack. Uh, I love you. I always will. Uh, I also want to thank you and uh, Scott Fitzgerald uh, and Mark, uh, the fellow who runs the uh, imaging uh, hosting site, for giving me this platform to uh, come on and not only talk about Metallic Overdrive and, and Lakeshore, but also my entire history in uh, the record business in Rochester. Because, you know, I was born in Rochester. I spent my first 38 years living there. What I did in the record business in Rochester, you know, not only Lakeshore, but the earlier stuff, being uh, one of the founders of Record Archive, the first uh, six months it existed in the flea market, that's my legacy in Rochester and the hometown where I grew up. You know, I, I want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart for giving me the platform to um, talk about this and make a permanent record of it so people can hear it and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll uh, have some idea of what, you know, my personal legacy in Rochester is. Everybody, you know, it's the best thing I ever did in my working life by a long shot. And uh, everybody wants to be remembered for, you know, the, some of the things that they did when they were around. And uh, with me, it's my legacy in the record business in Rochester. And I want to thank you guys so much for uh, giving me the platform to come on here and uh, explain my history, the stuff that I did and uh, you know, uh, recorded for posterity. Well, you're more, um, you're more than welcome, Ron. Thank you. And we do appreciate it. You know uh, it, it's an important thing to me because over the years, I've tried to uh, talk to people up in Rochester in the media about, you know, talking to me about, some of this stuff, you know, it's basically been a brick wall um, up till now, till you guys got hold of me about this stuff. Uh, as far as my history with Record Archive, nobody knows about that except if you were there at the time in 1975 and 1976, because my partner there will never mention my involvement because of the disagreement that we had. So whenever he is uh, written up uh, for the history of Record Archive, uh, I'm never mentioned there. As far as the rest of the media in Rochester, talking about any of the stuff that uh, that I did while I was there, I could never get a fair shake from any of the media in Rochester. Uh, the couple times that they did articles uh, that included me when I was there in the 1980s, there was one article they did where they allowed my first partner to insult me in print. Uh, there was another article they did about uh, heavy metal in Rochester where they called me the older balding man behind the counter. And the final slap in the face from the Rochester media was when uh, Lakeshore closed in 2017, there were probably, I counted about eight different articles at least on the internet uh, that were put there by uh, all the different Rochester media uh, about the closing of Lakeshore. And they all said the same thing. Uh, they all said it's closing after 29 years. And when they said 29 years in 2017, that completely ignores the eight years that Jackie and I ran it and did all the stuff that we did with the heavy metal stuff. And to me, that stuff is probably uh, a lot more historic and uh, memorable than anything that happened with the store later. You know, not to say uh, Andy didn't have a good run there, but I mean, uh, as far as historic stuff, uh, the stuff that we did with those shows um, has got to be at least you know, uh, as, as noteworthy as anything that happened afterwards. 
they completely ignored the eight years that Jackie and I had it and doing the things, all the things that we talked about in, in this whole uh, uh, series of uh, podcasts that we're doing here. I had to spend the, the day that those articles came out, the day after Lakeshore closed, I spent the whole day on the phone and sending emails with uh, all of the uh, so-called journalists that wrote those articles. Uh, and I had to tell them, look, your article is wrong. It isn't 29 years, it's 37 years. And I know this because I'm the guy that started the business and ran it the first eight years. So, you know, you guys had better make some corrections here because your article is mistaken. So some of them fixed uh, their articles online. To me, it's just uh, that whole thing uh, it was just a, a prime example of the worst lazy ass journalism that there could be. Wherever those people went to school to learn journalism, uh, they ought to get hold of those schools and get their money back that they paid for tuition because uh, apparently nobody taught them how to double check what they read. Basically, the articles they did were based on one Facebook post and uh, they didn't do any other further research. They didn't uh, double check to see whether they were writing was accurate. All they would have had to do was look at the Lakeshore Record uh, Exchange uh, website, uh, the history page, and they would have seen the entire history of it. But uh, none of them did that. And uh, I'm sorry, but to me, that was just the final slap in the face. And it was just uh, uh, example after example of lazy ass journalism. And I hope somebody who wrote those articles is listening to this right now because you deserve to hear that. Okay, rant over. Thanks, John, for letting me vent my spleen here. Wow. It's uh, <laughs> the, the wisdom of Ron Stein, the Lakeshore Record Exchange, the metal years. Again, Ron, thank you for taking the time these last four or five weeks. We spent a lot of time on the phone going over the story and personally helping me relive some of uh, my history. And I put together uh, a closing for this, but I want to read something that really exemplifies part of what you established for myself and for the rest of the people that uh, went through all this. I'm going to quote the late, great Neil Peart from Rush, who passed away at the beginning of this rotten year. And uh, this is from the song Time Stands Still. I'm just, it's a few lines. Summer's going fast, night's growing colder. Children growing up, old friends growing older. Freeze this moment a little bit longer. Make each sensation a little bit stronger. Experience slips away. Experience slips away. The innocent slips away. We'll be back in one minute. Music from Metallica and Damage Incorporated going out by request. And well, Verno, and uh, well, anyway, that request was going out to Sendai, Bill the Rager, Mr. Nuts, Heck Incorporated, TR's girlfriend. And Vernomatic himself. So have a good time, guys. I'm going to be working on sawing some lumber now, so I'm going to take off out of here. But uh, I do have just about 20, well, maybe 15 seconds of tunes, and then I'm out of here. The Relentless Attack of Metallic Overdrive, brought to you exclusively on WGMC Greece. Take it light, but keep it heavy. And kill all fails, too. The Wisdom of the Warhead, by far the metal general, one of the greatest metal attributes that the city had right behind Ron Stein. Again, Ron, I want to thank you for taking the time and coming out here. And one of the things you mentioned at the beginning of this whole presentation was the backlash that you received from import record distributors and other people in the retail industry, bad-mouthing heavy metal fans, bad-mouthing the way we supposedly live in our social hierarchy. You stood up for us. You're our voice. And we're going to go back to 1988. And these were the kind words you had for us. This is the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. 
and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. <laughs> but you know what can we say? We're getting uh, we're getting crazy down here. It's 4:25 a.m. and uh, I think that's pretty much going to end it up. Unless you got anything else that you'd like to add? For no, the- I, I think I've said it all. Uh, last week when I was on, I thanked all the DJs that have been involved in it, and uh, I'm eternally grateful for their participation and everything they've done. Um, you know, I thanked all the people who are who have been into the metal scene all this time. Everybody who listens to the program and came to our shows and buys records at Lakeshore. Um, you know, I I've never met a finer bunch of people in the world. The people uh, with the PMRC or anybody else who, who uh, rags on heavy metal and, and right. you know says that the people involved in it are somehow uh, somehow degenerate or that the people who listen to it kill their parents after listening to it or whatever. Those people are just uh, full of so much hot air. I know because I, can, I killed my parents. While listening to it, not after listening. That's it's all over. You see, there's a difference there. There is but, a big uh, difference. But uh, anyway, you know, I as far as I'm concerned, uh, you know, I've met nothing but people that I that I like and have gotten along well with, and throughout my seven years involvement with heavy metal, uh, and I really can't understand why it's gotten such a bad name. It's just totally beyond me. Anybody with an open mind who uh, can can deal with heavy metal with a with rational thought and uh, you know just look at it and meet the people who are involved with it and give them a fair chance. Um, you know, there is no reason in the world that you would say that uh, these people are any different than anybody you'd meet in any other walk of life. Wow. I said that 32 years ago, but I'd say exactly the same thing right now. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website, MetalMayhemROC.com or MetalForever.com for more information on upcoming concerts, interviews, archives, and more. Please rate and review the show wherever you get podcasts. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.